is stained with blood, where hope is eclipsed by despair. Hello, and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. This is the host for uh, today's cast, uh, Ethan. And with me, I have... Austin Zwiebelman. Tim M. Sullivan. And today, we will be discussing the 1985 anime feature film, Vampire Hunter D. Um, Not Wicked City. Due to some concerns that were raised to us regarding uh, the content of Wicked City, um, we opted not to... uh, use it in the the main cast series. So we're going to refrain from that. But um, instead, we will be talking about another adaptation of a Hideyuki Kikuchi novel, Vampire Hunter D from 1985, directed by uh, Toyo Ashida. And just a little bit of background on the film. For those of you who are only vaguely familiar, um, Vampire Under D was one of the first big home video sort of hits of Japanese animation in the States. It was dubbed by Streamline and released over here in various capacities uh, with like a a, a proper subtitled uh, theatrical release and a lot of home video stuff. And it aired on television along with oftentimes Robot Carnival and Twilight of the Cockroaches. The film itself is... um, a pretty interesting sort of science fiction film. The director, Toyo Ashida, is he's best known as probably the character designer for the uh, magical girl anime, Minky Momo. And uh, I, I know him from uh, Round Vernian Vifum, which is an old mecha anime. Um, and there's a character named Roddy Shuttle who just looks exactly like Dan. Like he basically just completely recycled the character design. It's great. Probably most relevant. And the reason he's working here on Vampire Hunter D is he was the director of Fist of the North Star, both the television series and the film, which is a post-apocalyptic Mad Max alike series and why he's on Vampire Hunter D. And so that's just a little bit of background on the film, sort of a general review. But um, I'm curious uh, if either of you have any history with the film at all, Tim? I I think this was one that I had started hearing about um, in high school. Uh, That that was when I kind of started getting into like darker, edgier anime. I was starting it in the horror stuff. So like that, that was when I was watching stuff like Helsing and uh, Blood, the Last Vampire and uh, Elfin Lead, uh, Devilman. So this was definitely one of those titles that came up around that time. And I think that I like I tried watching it in high school and like i just i couldn't get past the animation of it uh it just it just felt very like old and cheap from my perspective at that time fast forward to 2014 i think 2013 2014 i see the uh urban vision vhs tape for it at a local video store slackers for 50 cents and so I decided to uh, pick it up for 50 cents. Uh, and they also had the sequel, Vampire Under D Bloodlust, uh, for 15 bucks. So I bought that as well. And so I watched them then. And I, 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 had, a, I had a greater appreciation for them. I was a little bit older at that point. I was like 21, 22, something like that. I enjoyed them a lot. And I've... I, Watched them various multiple times. Uh, it's just sort of like an October tradition. I revisit them fairly frequently. Not too long after uh, the Blu-rays got released, I ended up picking them up. But I still have my old copies. So like right right here, I have um, the, the VHS and the Blu-ray of the original film. 
I, I, I keep them both because I, I like having the original as part of my collection, the, the classic VHS. Yeah, that's that's about all I have to say as far as history goes. Um, it's a movie I've revisited several times and enjoy quite a bit. Yeah, and, and regarding um, like like what you kind of launched into with uh, kind of bouncing off it initially, I, I definitely see that um, even even for the day, it does look a little little cheap. Um, it was made with the OVA market in mind, um, as opposed yeah. to uh, yeah, it was released as a feature, um, but it was clearly made um, for to live in the realm of video um, more than anything. It wasn't like Devil Man, where it was an OVA that was like not super expensively made, but it was like extra gory. Yeah, or even just like a lot. There's a lot of um, a lot of the composition is pretty simplistic. Yeah, and that sort of thing, or just the the character designs and that sort of thing. There's there's a lot to like in it, but there's also mm-hmm. um, a lot of things that are pretty representative of the limitations they were given, particularly with budget, which not a bad thing, but just sort of a, a byproduct that affects the finished piece and how you can go back to it today. Um, Austin, do you have any history with this film? It was this was a while ago and kind of hard to remember, but this got brought up on the Megazone cast. I know that was years ago, uh, but then <laughs> it was mentioned on the Cowboy Bebop podcast. Uh, but generally, I didn't have an experience with this. It might have been so long ago, I don't remember the movie, but generally, uh, I was we pivoted to this last night, and since then, I've been able to watch it 23 times because this movie is shorter than uh, than an Italian grandmother. This is the shortest movie I've ever come across in all of my travels. So I'd like to think I'm a Vampire Hunter D veteran just because of how many times I've seen the movie since 11 o'clock last night. That's fair. It is short. It's less short than I remember for some reason. I don't know why. I've only seen this movie years ago, years years upon years, when I was first getting into, like, streamlined dubs. I remember this movie being 45 minutes long. I remember it being an OVA length. I don't know why. <laughs> I haven't revisited it since then, so I have no idea why I thought it was that short. Um, and I guess that, that sort of leads pretty swimmingly into my history, which is I, I learned about Vampire Hunter D when I was first getting into streamlined dubs um, as a result of my love of Robotech, um, a love which makes every other anime fan hate me, um, and rightfully so. By every anime fan, he means Tanner. God. <laughs> every Tanime, Anne. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and so I, yeah, I watched their dub of Megazone 2, 3, um, and several other dubs that they produced, and I really love them. Um, but sometimes, sometimes they whiff. Uh, sometimes they whiff. And Vampire Hunter D was definitely a whiff. I think that's why it didn't stick quite so much in my memory um, at the time, uh, despite some, some nicer aspects, which I'll get into. I'll get into. But other than that, I haven't really revisited. I, I really like the sequel film. Um, I'm not as super familiar with the novels. Um, I'm familiar with Toyo Ashida's other work. Again, Fist of the North Star is great. And Fist of the North Star, the movie, which was also dubbed by Streamline um, in a pretty good dub by them. It's it's a very, it's a silly dub, um, sort of intentionally so, uh, as opposed to Vampire Hunter D's dub, which is uh, not intentionally bad. I would like to imagine that they wouldn't make a bad dub on purpose. And the other adaptation Streamline did, did of Kikichi novels in uh, Wicked City and Demon City Shinjuku, which are films that are are more stylish, perhaps, than D, but not quite as fun, which is a bit of an understatement in the case of Wicked City, the the unfunnest movie. But uh, I guess that leads sort of discussing the quality of the dub and, and sort of the fun factor of Vampire Hunter D. Tim, what are your overall thoughts on the film uh, and how it holds up? 
it's it's uh it's a very fun just like little short movie and it it's like I, I haven't read any of the novels. I don't really know anything like about the larger story beyond uh, those two movies. But like it, it, it gives you a good enough like idea of what the deal is with the character. Like you, 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 you get into like who D is and why. Like what makes him special. Like he's he's a dampier, and like I, 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 I have to remind myself that he's a dampier because the sequel keeps calling him a dun peel. I don't know why they that, did that. <laughs> that's a remnant of the streamlined dub. They call him a damn peel in that because um, they didn't know that dampier was a word. The English translated scripts didn't. They just said damn peel. Um, and that at the time it wasn't terribly well known. When I watched the streamlined dub, like I couldn't really tell what they were saying. So mm-hmm. I guess that's fair. <laughs> uh, he's a but yeah, it's 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 enjoyable if you're able to get past sort of the like cheap oldness of the animation, which that, that's something that's not as much of an issue for me now. Like I do enjoy older stuff. Um, I do enjoy older OVAs. I've, I've watched some of the older Gundam anime and Votoms uh, fairly recently. I, tr- I try to be more open to older anime stuff than I was when I was younger getting past that. Like I, I do, I do enjoy it just as a short little fun film uh, as a big fan of Helsing. Uh, I, I enjoy it as just sort of like the thing that basically inspired the character of Alucard and Helsing. Uh, like you, you definitely have like very similar kind of outfits and like the, the, the hat and just like the, the concept of the vampire character who hunts vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's sort, sort of neat to see D as sort of the origin of Alucard as a character I really like. So I enjoy it on that level. Um, you know, over, overall, fun, fun movie. Enjoyed. He the best. Roger Ebert gave him two thumbs up. Yeah, I, I think that's um, that's something I can definitely say. Like the influence of this film is is really pal- palpable. Like especially if you're a Castlevania fan, a Symphony of the Night. There's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of D and Alucard. Just all there. of the Alucards. Yeah, yeah, the, all of the Alucards. Uh, the the Alucard from Castlevania and the Alucard from everybody likes that joke because it's uh, a good bit. Um, particularly, I think. Um, the the visuals I definitely get too. They can be a barrier to entry, even even for the day on some at some times. I wouldn't say all the time because it does have some very pretty shots. But um, yeah, yeah, like that that one shot towards the end where like we see like the clouds and the weathering, like like that that whole sequence looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie doesn't look quite like that. <laughs> Which yeah yeah fair fair um it has some rough spots it's got some it's got some some jank yeah. some cruft um, but it also it also does have like some really cool like monster stuff which oh yeah yeah uh, that that's that's probably the thing I that that might be the thing that I enjoy about this even more so than uh, bloodlust which I do think bloodlust is an overall stronger movie. But I, I do think that some of the like monster design stuff in this one 
is a little more interesting to me. Yeah, I think it kind of um, revels in sort of the the science fiction of it a bit more than Bloodlust does, because um, Bloodlust has a little bit of that with the gunplay, but but the gothic element is clearly pushed to the fore hard in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love it. It's it got kind of Wizards vibes in how I just love the subtle little world building stuff throughout, or even like Fist of the North Star. Uh, there's a lot of Fist of the North Star in there. And these like these freaks that he goes, he has to fight his way through like the like the big guy a la heart from Fist of the North Star, uh, the the big the big man who eats people. There really is a lot of DNA in there or even like the, the three mutants have like the quality of a Dragon Ball film almost. What are the, uh, the specialties they'll introduce before you fight the big bad of the film? What I'm saying is Vampire Hunter D inspired the Lord Slug OVA. Um <laughs> It always comes back to Lord Slug, too. Lord Slug and Turles. Jeez. Um, but no, Austin, uh, your thoughts on the film? With the monsters, there's a moment when D is first going into Lee's castle for the first time, and he sees this just horde of these really creatively designed monsters that look really strange because of the cheap animation. And it just reminded me of the SpongeBob episode, Rock Bottom, when SpongeBob is stuck with all of these deep sea creatures at a bus stop or nearby a bus stop. It was that sort of a uh, level for me. Rest in peace to the jellyfish monster who gets fucked uh, on Dee's barrier fence. I, I mostly just wrote down a bunch of jokes for this one because something about the movie, more casual tone for this. Uh, here's just some general thoughts I had watching this. Lamica's mouth is so unbelievably tiny. Small mouth. <laughs> This movie's progressive for making the tentacle-shaped monster a lady-shaped tentacle monster. <laughs> Dr. Faringo trying to shoot the golem when it's trying to break into uh, Dee's little safe house was hilariously futile. Uh, like, it, it could make a good reaction image. Like, me staying up all night versus final exam. Me trying not to wake but my parents at night versus our dogs. Bomb Squad <laughs> Productions versus Google Ads. <laughs> I think the reason that the antagonist Lee did this whole thing is because he likes to deliver people bad news about dampiers. Uh, like getting to tell the, the lady that, uh, you know, D was a dampier. And especially he's been waiting a long time to get to tell his daughter that she's a she's she's a happy. Like, I think that was a lot of his plot and motivation. This man kills three Gyarados by having five hour energy coursing through his veins instead of blood. <laughs> And then Deke proceeds to keep killing Pokemon. He goes to murder Golem next. And I got to admit, I felt kind of bad for Golem. Greco's uh, death off screen was a mistake because we see a sheep get killed. We see the jellyfish die. But then Greco gets the no country for old men treatment. That was a misstep. I also admired how D doesn't die. He dies agonally. Like, he dies diagonally. That was an interesting direction to die when he gets stabbed by Ray. I kind of want to make a loop of Dan falling forever when uh, when he gets pushed into that sort of Star Wars episode God. five place. God, it is very funny when he's falling through the air because he's falling so fast and he's just absolutely tumbling down this shaft, just doing flips. <laughs> Yeah, I like the fact that Ray says comrades. You know, he, that's kind of based. Uh, like, he's a sadistic moron, but at least he's a leftist, which makes me assume he's a Maoist. Based and- in Ray-pilled. <laughs> God. I, I legit laughed so hard. Did, how'd you guys like the moment when the Count's congregation is, like, wishing him well at the wedding? Just this army of ghouls just being like, congratulations on your new wife, all in tandem. That was- God. God. <laughs> 
Lastly, I just think the ending goes on for some time. That was another the last thing that stuck out to me when I was watching this was just sort of the pace of the ending and how it just never seemed to die. It just kept going. Yeah, no, it's like it feels like it should end at 70 minutes and then it just keeps going for 10 it's absurd. Uh, like I was like, oh yeah, there. I, did I forget a really big fight with Magnus at the end? And then it's just like, oh no, we're just gonna spend like five minutes just cutting back and forth between D and Lamika as she's like, I'm, a, I have to die. And then he's like, no, you don't have to. And then she's like, I have to. And then she dies. Yeah, and that's uh, a list in sort of the exact order it happened in the film of all my thoughts on that film regarding just like general thoughts. That's sort of the way I approach it. Like, like I can a- appreciate it on like a like a craftsman's level. Like I think, oh, the, the composition is very effective. They they make a good use of limited animation and they do a lot of like effects stuff. Like there's an, a shot early on where most of it is just seeing um, uh, Doris's hair whipping in the wind. Um, and they have the line, the layer of animated lines to convey the movement of the wind and everything. And I really like that. The movement on the hair is very erratic, but it's like what hair caught up in a gale would look like. But then a lot of it is just like, haha, that's dumb or that's weird or unique or just it's a very trashy sort of film in a lot of aspects sort of like fist of the north star the movie like it's a hyper violent and it's absurd it's also sort of uh opening up new audiences uh basically in terms of who you could market th- something to because it's being marketed towards young men and adults as opposed to you know children who you're going to sell toys to ostensibly um or like a more an older audience uh, sort of thing. Um, but but it's not pornography. <laughs> it's, it's not just um, like straight up adult film OVA, like, you know, uh, Legend of the Overfiend or uh, Wicked City. Um, <laughs> and, and it's fun. Like it's it sort of it's one of the earliest examples I can I can think of of what is the, the archetypal sort of OVA. Um, but as a result, because it's early, it's not too hyper violent. Like it's not like egregiously so. Um, in a way that makes it a bit more approachable. Makes it terrible on Cartoon Network. Yeah. It's not Genocyber. Yeah, it's, it's not Genocyber. It's not MD Geist 2. It's not Wicked City. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> um, sorry to all the Wicked City fans, but um, you're wrong. And and sort of on that on that track, I like it. I think it's a it's a good, fun movie with cool ideas. I like its world building a lot. Um, it's it's subtle and cool. Um, and the way it sort of just brute forces its like fantastical elements with the science fiction stuff, like Doris's more almost fantastical outfit, and then Dan in his kind of Mad Max gear with the baguettes for shoulder pads and his, their weird laser guns that look like French Revolutionary era rifles. I kind of love it. Like it, it's this weird thing that doesn't properly gel, but that's sort of the appeal because it's post-apocalyptic. Feels very hodgepodge in a, in a fun way, not in a this is wrong way. And, and that does also transition well into opinions on the film's visuals. Tim. Uh, I have to agree. I do think that like the um, just sort of the like blend of like classic aesthetics with um, the more like technological futuristic stuff. I I think it's done well here. Like we see a lot of uh, anime stuff uh, and video game stuff that tries to do that. And some sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't seem super interesting. I think it really works well here. I, I do think like the world of it is very interesting to look at. I think the monsters are really cool in like that gross kind of way that's not too much, but it's enough that like it it, it has a sort of like an intriguing quality to it. I think there's a lot in this 
film that it makes it enjoyable to look at even if like the art and animation is uh kind of cheap like it it, it's definitely visually interesting just like conceptually there's just like a lot of cool stuff there i think yeah yeah i mean uh, it's sort of furthering the, the anachronism of it like um discussing like the bridal procession when they're going through these vast like technological halls in their their goofy robes like larping like they they look like cheap costumes almost even and the and the count in his like stereotypical like he, he's dressed like bela Lugosi's dracula basically <laughs> um as he's walking through the interior of the death star here um <laughs> that just that hard contrast is a lot is fun in its own right in a pretty compelling way so I, I definitely agree with you and then like just and some of the monster designs too going into that like the the one in the opening with the man teeth like the herb of the flat herbivore teeth that spits like poison blood out at people like that's a, a freaky looking monster and i just like the way it moves and everything it's very impressive or the cyborg horses holy shit i can't believe we, those didn't get haven't gotten brought up yet um but those are bad as hell because they have like horns and stuff but like only and i love their cyborgs they're not just all robot it's just like the front like the head is is robot with like a brain casing or some shit and i love it um it's <laughs> silly but so fun austin your thoughts on the film's visuals after watching what happens to Doris's horse in the beginning, I was so thankful to see a robotic horse. I was like, finally, somebody preempted the problem. Felt so bad. So who did the, the I hear that this is manga or books. This is like something with illustrations, right? Okay, so um, it's a a novel series primarily, but there is a manga as well. Um, the original illustrator for the, uh, there, cause there were illustrations to accompany the books. Um, the, the illustrator who is most associated with, uh, Vampire Hunter D is Yoshitaka Amano. The guy who does the fan, the final fantasy art, um, is what he's best known for. And so these designs are sort of a blend between his art and, um, Ashita's house style. I like to think that it's that you'd like take the Final Fantasy man's art and you try to make it 16 bit like sort of um, if you if you could do that, like whittle it down and like dumb it down and make it less detailed. It's sort of like you're you're going into a feature like the anime expecting something modern like a PS4 game. And this due to how far back it was and due to the limited budget is sort of like stepping down your expectations for a video game visual down to like. SNES era. That's sort of like the level of complexity they were able to convey on the budget, which, by the way, is a hidden number I can't find. Uh, I have I have looked around, and the the budget to Vampire Hunter D seems harder to find than the key that cracks Blu-ray encryption. Okay, no, I can't find the number. I think that all the characters like the the cheapness of it actually made it a little bit fun, uh, just because it's it's so cute and non-threatening and very very much just like uh, ramshackle. And then somebody will just straight up get chopped in half down the middle, which by the way is an indicator for how good an ultraviolet film is. It's not an ultraviolet film unless somebody gets chopped in half this way, okay? This was so much fun. Uh, there's a painted sort of background that flies by people when they're having, like, a moment of surprise or, or intensity. And I like specifically that background, the colors that they used and how they did the pattern. That always was fun when it popped up. Yeah, I, that, that background, I definitely get what you mean. It definitely has, like, bowling alley carpet vibes almost, <laughs> too, for the colors they use, like the purples and greens. And I think there's, like, a little bit of orange in there on, on the like black primary almost 
It is an odd choice for your speed lines, but I do like it. It's distinct. Um, very singular. Um, and, and I don't mean to rag on this film. It has some great composition throughout. Like, again, like this is the guy who was the chief director for Fist of the North Star. He has an idea of how to make um, some pretty darn good action on a limited budget. Um, and also, Porchita, he's, he's juggling. Like, he was still chief director of the Fist of the North Star TV series as it was happening. And he was also the, the Fist of the North Star movie came out a few months after this. So he was working on that while working on this because this came out in, I think, December of 1985. And then Fist of the North Star, the movie came out in, I think, March of 1986. So he was he was chief director on the on the television series while making two feature films. Just the fact the fact that it it exists at all is impressive. Yeah. Um, the, this this man this man when he made this movie is like finally I can show a man's head explode and it won't get censored. God, yeah, <laughs> we don't need to put any weird filters that only the Italians get a version um, where it's it's clean. That part was so good. I love God. that. God, poor poor Ray. <laughs> Poor Ray. That's actually, he's directed two films where a guy with bluish blonde hair named Ray gets absolutely destroyed by the big bad before the hero is able to come and step in. That's, that's happens in Fist of the North Star, the movie at the end. Yeah, no, there, there are some, again, like weird parallels narratively to this in Fist of the North Star that I like, that I think is cool. It's about, it's, you know, it's about wandering strangers who come into town to beat the shit out of some people, um, <laughs> save some innocent townspeople, all that. Um, in Fist of the North Star. Oh, Kensh- and both of them show up in their respective films. Uh, D has a cameo in uh, Frame at the end of Fist of the North Star. Uh, and uh, Kenshiro actually has a, like, a very brief cameo in this film as a, one of the townspeople. Nani? Nani? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he does look very confused in that shot, too, so it's appropriate. <laughs> Yeah, it's clear that he's he's pulling on that experience with that. Um, but he's like, I can use it to make a kind of schlocky science fiction thing um, that will be absolutely perfect for a nascent American market that is hungry for mature cartoon. So then uh, Vampire Hunter D is set in the year 1990X confirmed. Yeah, 1990X uh, as opposed. I I don't think it is explicitly stated in the novels as opposed to the the movie where it's the absurd. Like, I guess that's that's a good way of future proofing your movie is saying it's in the year 12,000. People in the year 12,000 will be like, this is fucking bullshit. We still have to pay taxes. God, (laughs) we were supposed to have vampires, not whatever awful thing that's going to suck instead. (laughs) Different kind of suck. I didn't, that was intended. God, the film, I like Ashita's designs. Frankly, they're extremely 80s. Um, They're a little cutesy for the material. A lot of them, um, yeah, just some of them are like unusual. Like they clash a little bit, but I don't. I don't mind necessarily. I kind of like that effect. Again, it's the it's the weird pieces all fitting together. Um, if anything, I I think Magnus's design is maybe a little boring ish. But honestly, I I can't get past the inherent comedy of having a stock Dracula man kind of as the villain of the piece because he just completely clashes with everything, um, which I adore, as you can see. <laughs> There's an animator on the special features from the Urban Vision DVD uh, that says that the purple guy, the, I forget his name, uh, the purple flying guy, said he looked like a villain from Kamen Rider, apparently. Kamen Rider. Oh, good Lord. Who's I will locate that that Kamen Rider man. So the viewers, viewers like you can see that that Kamen Rider man. There's a lot Art. of characters like I like I think Golem is probably inspired by that large man in the Fist of the North Star opening that I can't remember if he even shows up. They're just a big dude in the opening that Kenshiro has to explode. I wouldn't doubt it, but I, yeah, <laughs> moving on. 
Uh, this film, yeah, this film's visuals are unique and singular um, and, and kind of jank, but kind of fun. Uh, really fun, actually. On that note, uh, let's move into the uh, topic of dubs. Um, so, Tim, which dub did you watch? Um, and uh, what were your thoughts on it? For this viewing, I watched the Sentai dub, uh, just because that was what was on the Blu-ray. Uh, but I do have some fondness for the Streamline dub because it's it, it, it's it's goofy in an endearing sort of way that I really enjoy. I, I wish that that was included on the Sentai Blu-ray, but I, I wanted to watch this in HD last night, so I did. I just threw on the Sentai dub. Uh, I, do, I do think the Sentai dub is enjoyable, but I don't necessarily have the same enjoyment for it, I guess. Uh, but I think I think both work on their own merit. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Sentai is weirdly bad about that, about including old dubs of things on their releases, which is frustrating. Um, Venus Wars didn't, it, it lacked its original dub, um, and Lock the Superman, their release of it, didn't have the, the original English dub. It's subtitled only, um, because the original English dub is a weird, messy thing from, uh, the Hong, like a Hong Kong dub job, basically, um. Man, when are we gonna get the Singapore dub of Yu-Gi-Oh over here? God. Yeah, there, there are so many weird dubs that we'll never get. It's frustrating. But um, I, I get what you mean regarding the streamlined dub. I I have thoughts. I, I kind of like Sentai's dub for what is probably a, the stupidest possible reason, um, but I'll get into that. Austin, uh, which version did you watch and what did you think? I was able to watch the uh, Sentai dub and Japanese, uh, but I wasn't able to get to streamline. I made a note of in the uh, Sentai dub, there's uh, right after uh, Greco has his Clarence Brodicker moment when he pushes the ladies out, he says the line, I need the key to the secret spy room, which was which was a, a pretty peak moment. I thought that Ray sounded a lot better in the original Japanese. Like there was sort of like a, a strange nobility and a respectability. And then they just made him sound like a total ass in the Sentai dub, which is, is odd because you get a completely different impression of his character based on the dub. And I'd say that the Jap you should watch it in the original Japanese so that the psychological dynamic of the movie changes a little bit or the better because there's a lot of Ray in this. And the other thing was, because I saw this for the first time in Japanese, for some reason, I wasn't expecting the Southern accents. Like, when I got to watching these in English dubs and, like, Dan showed up for the first time, and it was just like, what kind of quiet man are you? Like, it was just, uh, it was strange. I guess I got to go check out the streamlined one because um, some people like it better. And uh, I read in the comments it might be better. Ethan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, I think the streamlined dub is is one of their less good ones. Um, it has some very strong performances. I really love Michael McConaughey as D, but that's just because I love Michael McConaughey. The uh, the performer who plays Ray, who is, of course, the one person I didn't write down. Um, I love him. He plays Sean Phillips in uh, Robotech, of course, um, because everybody who was in a Streamline dub was in Robotech at some point. That's why That's why I like Streamline so much. Kerrigan Mahan, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, Kerrigan Mahan. Yes. Uh, great performance, I, th I think. Um, he, he does the kind of a good balance. Um, I think he's just a bit more monotone, which compliments. Um, and he's got sort of a naturally slightly greasy voice, but just a little bit, just a tiny bit, like greasy with a heart of gold. 
he's a he's ultimately a noble person, uh, but just a little bit of grease. How many times can I say grease? Grease up that guy. Uh, but there, there are good actors in this, too. Like Laura Cody plays Dan um, and um, Barbara Goodson, who um, played the English voice of young Goku in Harmony Gold's dub. And she's just in a ton of stuff. But um, they, they both give weird performances. Um, even Eddie, uh, Eddie Merman, who plays uh, Lamika, she's doing uh, this weird accent throughout and it, it's there's a lot of weird accents in the streamlined dub that are just difficult to parse it's like i guess it's authentic to how accents would be in the year twelve thousand, but um I, I don't know if it i don't know if it reads that way really i think the sentai dub is is overall stronger uh, and i kind of enjoy it because it's it's a modern dub in a lot of ways but also it just feels like an old adv dub which is charming in its own right it's got a lot of it's got some weird jokes um inserted uh not like the streamlined dub which just in, inserts whole lines where there initially were none like that scene in the in the graveyard um with magnus where he's he's talking he's like he introduces himself to doris that doesn't really happen in the uh in the streamline or in the sentai dub at least uh because i did not get a chance to look through the uh the japanese for this uh rewatch which I'm, I'm sure it's great. Uh, usually, um, the Japanese is the the best way to kind of enjoy something in in its ideal, like in the way the creators intended, at the very least. So yeah, if if that's what if that is what you're after, I highly recommend that way of <laughs> viewing this film. Um, but but overall, I I liked the Sentai dub in a way I I don't necessarily usually like their redubs of things. Um, but it also doesn't hurt that um, the streamline dub is one of their weaker ones, and that's why like nine times out of ten, whenever streamline uh, ADV redubbed something um i always would be like man i would love the streamlined dub was included on this but then you don't do that um which is is frustrating uh but then adv died and everybody else got their licenses uh, discotech and nozomi and re-released them with all of the dubs so we're fine (laughs) speaking of performances and the weirdness and this sort of been the elephant in the room throughout this podcast is sort of how it stacks up against its sequel question mark vampire hunter d bloodlust the film from the early 2000s i want to say 2001 or 2002 Ooh, that's why you make better notes 2000 2000. yep so yeah vampire hunter d released in 2000 uh vampire hunter d wasn't just called vampire hunter d 2000 god (laughs) i'm actually shocked they didn't do that i'm i'm I mean, I'm happy that they went the, with the slightly more tasteful title, I suppose. But yeah, because everybody did that back then. It was the equivalent of putting 64 in your Nintendo 64 games title. There was like legit a whole season of South Park where every episode had 2000 at the end of the title. God, I love that. That's finally a good joke from South Park. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. South Park's fine. That, that one was for Tanner. You just heard South Park guys' feelings. Ethan, I'm sorry. It came out in Fantasia <laughs> Fest in 2000. It came out in Japan in 2001. Well, actually, it was made for the U.S. market. Yeah. Yeah, Bloodlines was a co-production um, with Urban Vision. It was made specifically for the U.S. Like, there was a dub before there was a Japanese language track produced. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like the Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light movie in that those were both made for Western audiences and then got brought to Japan. Yeah, yeah, that is a, that is a thing about Bloodlust that is sort of important to address. There was this weird time in the late '90s and early 2000s when anime studios were flush with cash and they could just commission things like whole ass movies in a way that you don't see 
quite so much anymore. Um, like ADV commissioned a movie of the video game Sin of all things. Yeah, the Sin. Uh, there's a, it's an old shooter. I watched that. I have not played that game, so I had no idea what I was watching. It was very technically impressive for its day, and the, the movie is nothing like the the movie is much more serious than the the game. Um, or like uh, Central Park Media, they actually funded a sequel to MD Geist, the OVA. MD Geist, MD Geist 2 is technically partially funded by Central Park Media. I believe Manga actually um, funded Ghost in the Shell in some part, the company that distributed it, because they're in the, I believe they're in the original credits for that film. In some capacity, they assisted with that film. That or they've just been burnt into the credits at this point, even like the original Japanese language credits. And uh, that's that's sort of an interesting thing, because it, it almost conforms more to Western tastes in a lot of ways, Bloodlust. Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust is interesting because it is sort of a response to, I think, the popular consciousness's memory of uh, the original Vampire Hunter D as this cool thing that combines science fiction. Um, but as, as, as a result, it's a lot more stylish. Um, interestingly, uh, it's the um, director, uh, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, who directed the other two adaptations of uh, Kikuchi novels, uh, Wicked City and Demon City Shinjuku, he finally got his chance to work with Vampire Hunter D. Um, the other, Kikuchi has three main novel series, and those are Shinjuku, Wicked City, and D. So he's, he's worked on them all, baby. Um, and I would say Bloodlust is easily the best of the three. But before we get into my bad opinions, Tim, what are your thoughts on Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust? I do think Bloodlust is the stronger movie uh, in a lot of ways. I, th- I think it's one of the most gorgeous cell animated films ever. Like, like what I was talking about on the Bebop podcast, it's one of those movies where like every frame just looks like a painting that belongs in a museum. It's so good. But I was also listening to a podcast by the Anime Nostalgia Podcast episode where they're talking about animation cells and Bloodlust came up and they were talking about like, this movie's cells are so gorgeous, but the people who were making these cells made like less than a dollar per cell, uh, which is, that, that's not great. <laughs> So like I'm 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 definitely glad that working conditions for animators have improved to some degree, oh, no. but but uh, but also it's so good. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, they, it's a it's a it's a tough dis, uh, situation there. Yeah, there, that is sort of a weird thing that you get then, um, where it's it's more frustrating almost because it's an intersection at a time when, especially when it was a U.S. co-production, um, when yeah. there's there's more money being pushed into things. That is sort of honestly, it's it's kind of how things are right now with Netflix and every and a bunch of people moving in to um, to finance stuff. It's it's really not trickling down to the workers, unfortunately, in a in a frustrating way. Um, but it is really yeah. just. All the same, um, at the very least, we can recognize their craftsmanship. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because the, it is, like you said, an absolutely gorgeous film, like just top to bottom. The composition, uh, Kawajiri, is incredibly stylish. And it's, it's honestly, it's interesting comparing uh, not just this to the original film, but to his work on uh, Wicked City and uh, Shinjuku. Just how much he grew as an artist in that uh, decade plus time period. Because uh, Bloodlust, while it doesn't use like as much stylized coloring 
it does still look incredibly impressive and incredibly stylish. Austin, your thoughts on Bloodlust, which you have just recently seen. Yeah, I decided to take a break from watching the old one and watch the new one because I thought it would behoove me. Kind of like the Great Pyramids of Giza. It's like the pinnacle of what slave labor can do. Um, (laughs) I I made a list uh, because what occurred to me before I get into anything else, uh, there are some similarities that Bloodlust has with the original one. In the beginning of this film, somebody tries to fuck his shit up in the opening scene right when he rides in. Vampires can catch sharp stuff that you try to hit them with. Vampires like Big Titty Goth Princess. Antagonists with a last name that starts with an L. His homies are blonde girls who have families who are vampire hunters or other hunters that got killed. Uh, The girl he's trying to save gets the glossy eye treatment in the third act. Final boss never expects who his dad was. Castle crumbling, and this is the second week that uh, Throw a Glass Darkly popped up. It is mentioned in Bloodlines. Now on to the the thing that Bloodlust did. So this film is so much more complicated. Like, I admire Vampire Hunter D because there are characters that sort of take interesting, like, motivational paths through the movie. Like, it's not 100% rote. It's not full stupid. Where then they just crank that up in Bloodlust. Like, like the initial antagonist, what happens to him and what his motivations are. And then, like, every character has that. And the designs are incredible. I thought the mercenaries looked just great. But really what hit me was just how sad this movie was. How much it made me cry. I could not believe it, dudes. It was so good. There were a couple things that happened at the end that just really punched me right in the emotions. Just like how rich of a film it is. I mean, I like the other one. It's a very good time. But Bloodlust is this like whole different thing. Big, complicated menagerie of cool stuff happening. It's like two completely different beasts, mostly because of budget and the ability to like over time get more comfortable with Vampire Hunter D success, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that's uh, part and parcel. Both um, are very good points. Just the, this concept sort of coming into its own and popular consciousness really glomming onto it in a big way. Yeah, and all the intermediary vampire media um, in between, you know, um, and Kawajiri is no stranger to using that um, in his films. You see a lot of that, uh, particularly in Cyber City Oedo, the third episode of that uses, uses a lot of vampire stuff in like a science fiction-y sort of context. And so obviously that sort of translated very well um, into Bloodlust. And Bloodlust is just, it's a far tighter film. Uh, the, the OVA, uh, I, yeah, I just want to call it an OVA because that is really what it feels like, the original. It, it ambles a lot. Um, it kind of loses its track of itself in a lot of ways, but it is still a pretty straightforward story. It's never, like, confusing. Um, it's just a bit ambling at times. And Bloodlust is, uh, again, absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. Um, if the, Again, the only thing I think it might lose is some of the, the world-building elements to it. Um, it. Just purely, like, visual world-building stuff a little bit, um, just because so much of it is uh, dedicated to that, that very well-refined gothic style. But that refinement comes at the cost of almost the post the post-apocalyptic quality i think but but again what is compelling about bloodlust is its use of this this sort of gothic post-apocalypse like that's really unique and cool and the tragedies and the the motivation of the villains i think in particular is what really 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 elevates it to like narratively and i think the characters overall are a lot better Uh, they they talk less which is i think to their benefit the major players the the villains uh talk a bit more um, and their words aren't quite so empty you have some weight when they're talking because you know whenever magnus opens his mouth it's going to be just to say somebody something shitty or to make somebody's (laughs) head explode um (laughs) Just slam them against a bunch of fucking walls and then crush their skull. 
God. The Gary Spot thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just the gravity gun. Gordon Freeman is Magnus Lee. Yeah, I think Bloodlust is overall a much better film. If I was to get together with a bunch of friends um, and just want to kind of bullshit while watching a movie, uh, the original is probably the one I would put on. But if I knew we weren't going to just be munching on snacks and chatting through it and actually focusing on it, I would be like, yeah, let's watch Bloodlust. So we're bringing the original Vampire Hunter D to the next hangout at Brandon and Scott's. Yeah, exactly. As soon as we get their home theater. It is is a special Vampire Hunter D slash Star Wars droids party. Yeah. The perfect combo. Yeah, no, but Bloodlust is a really cool, unique film. Um, But pivoting back, circling back to that original 1985 film, just one last time for overall thoughts. uh, Any any final concluding thoughts, uh, Tim? It's a it's a really fun, just kind of like Halloween um, anime movie. Um, I definitely recommend it. I recommend it if you're a fan of Helsing, because like I said, it. It's definitely an influence there, particularly in uh, the character of Alucard. I haven't played really enough Castlevania to know too much about that. And I barely watched the Netflix series. Um, I'm assuming it is also an influence there. And like Ethan mentioned, uh, the art is by the creator of Final Fantasy. So if you like, if you like really cool, like fantasy, sci-fi kind of art aesthetics, it's definitely a cool thing to check out overall just just a fun time cool movie to watch and then after you watch that you can also watch bloodlust it would be an interesting double feature honestly um i don't think i've ever watched both in the same sitting but that that would be what a whiplash of going from one to the other honestly austin uh overall any uh concluding thoughts I think there was like a making of featurette that was featured on the Urban Visions uh, DVD to bring up one more time where they, uh, I think it's the director says that the videos like this are for people who are done studying with exams and they're tired. So they wanted to make a movie that wouldn't make them more tired. And that instinct completely followed through. Vampire Hunter D is a lot of fun. I showed it to somebody who was having a terrible night and they were big mad and they just loved it like also this person was like a fan of vampire media in general like watched all of Castlevania and had a great time and just having more of this stuff like Vampire Hunter D is its own whole universe with its crazy weird sci-fi but some of it's the past aesthetic Uh, I, I can't recommend it enough it's very accessible very fun and spooky enough it's it's kind of spooky so good halloween watching as well yeah yeah the the horror elements we don't emphasize quite so much it's very much sort of an action horror but there there are definitely moments of it where it's very effective like that opening is uh genuinely pretty darn good um in how it how it's depicted and its use of color those blues really love that and yeah i think uh my my quick wrap up is I like it a lot. It's a very fun movie. Um, it's not my absolute favorite thing. I, I don't have the same reverence for it that I know some people do partially just because I wasn't there, which, you know, it, it's it's such a significant sort of film to like Western Japanese animation fandom, particularly in the States. But I'm glad it came over. And I think it was it, it was significant for a reason. It's the perfect t- film to come out in the early 90s in the US for it. Um, and I'm glad we got it. I'm glad it exists. And thank you, uh, Toyo Yoshida for making yourself miserable for like a whole year working on a television series and two feature films. Um, (laughs) And with that, I think that'll be closing Uh, for all of you listening on the audio platforms. uh, Be sure to give us a high ranking um, or just follow uh, if 
there is no ranking on your platform of choice. Um, if you're watching this video on YouTube, be sure to uh, click that like button um, and give us a uh, sc- subscribe. Uh, follow us. We make good content. Austin works very hard to make these uh, enjoyable for you. So check those out um, and tune in next week where we will be discussing the Sam Raimi classic Spider-Man 2. No, <laughs> uh, we will be discussing Sam Raimi's debut feature, The Evil Dead, uh, hosted by Tim Sullivan. Check that out. It'll be a spooky old time and take care. Au revoir. Farewell. I slid my ticket across the table and I said, sorry guys, I gotta see about a girl.